Section 22 of Hans Christian Andersen, Fairy Tales and Short Stories, Volume 5, 1860 to 1865. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by C.J. Plogue. October 4, 2014. Hans Christian Andersen, Fairy Tales and Short Stories, Volume 5. 1860 to 1865 by Hans Christian Andersen, translated by H. P. Paul. The will o' the wisp is in the town, says the Moor woman, by Hans Christian Andersen, 1865. There was a man who once knew many stories, but they had slipped away from him, so he said. The story that used to visit him of its own accord no longer came and knocked at his door. And why did it come no longer? it is true enough that for days and years the man had not thought of it had not expected it to come and knock and if he had expected it it would certainly not have come for without there was war and within was the care and sorrow that war brings with it the stork and the swallows came back from their long journey for they thought of no danger and behold when they arrived the nest was burnt the habitations of men were burnt the hedges were all in disorder and everything seemed gone and the enemy's horses were stamping in the old graves those were hard and gloomy times but they came to an end and now they were past and gone so people said yet no story came and knocked at the door or gave any tidings of its presence i suppose it must be dead or gone away with many other things said the man but the story never dies and more than a whole year went by and he longed oh so very much for the story i wonder if the story will ever come back again and knock and he remembered it so well in all the various forms in which it had come to him sometimes young and charming like spring itself sometimes as a beautiful maiden with a wreath of thyme in her hair and a beechen branch in her hand and with eyes that gleamed like deep woodland lakes in the bright sunshine sometimes it had come to him in the guise of a peddler and let silver ribbon come fluttering out with verses and inscriptions of old remembrances but it was most charming of all when it came as an old grandmother with silvery hair and such large sensible eyes she knew so well how to tell about the oldest times long before the princesses spun with the golden spindles and the dragons lay outside the castles guarding them she told with such an air of truth that black spots danced before the eyes of all who heard her and the floor became black with human blood terrible to see and hear and yet so entertaining because such a long time had passed since it all happened will it ever knock at my door again said the man and he gazed at the door so that black spots came before his eyes and upon the floor he did not know if it was blood or morning crape from the dark heavy days and as he sat thus the thought came upon him whether the story might not have hidden itself like the princess in the old tale and he would now go in search of it if he found it it would beam in new splendor lovelier than ever who knows perhaps it has hidden itself in the straw that balances on the margin of the well carefully carefully perhaps it lies hidden in a certain flower that flower in one of the great books on the bookshelf and the man went and opened one of the newest books to gain information on this point but there was no flower to be found there he read about Holgodansky, and the man read that the tale had been invented and put together by a monk in france that it was a romance translated into danish and printed in that language 
that holger danski had never really lived and consequently could never come again as we have sung and have been so glad to believe and william tell was treated just like holger danski these were all only myths nothing on which we could depend and yet it is all written in a very learned book well i shall believe what i believe said the man there grows no plantation where no foot is trod and he closed the book and put it back in its place and went to the fresh flowers at the window perhaps the story might have hidden itself in the red tulips with the golden yellow edges or in the fresh rose or in the beaming camellia the sunshine lay among the flowers but no story the flowers which had been here in the dark troublous times had been much more beautiful but they had been cut off one after another to be woven into wreaths and placed in coffins and the flag had waved over them perhaps the story had been buried with the flowers but then the flowers would have known of it and the coffin would have heard it and every little blade of grass that shot forth would have told of it the story never dies perhaps it has been here once and has knocked but who had eyes or ears for it in those times people looked darkly gloomily and almost angrily at the sunshine of spring at the twittering birds and all the cheerful green the tongue could not even bear the old merry popular songs and they were laid in the coffin with so much that our heart held dear the story may have knocked without obtaining a hearing there was none to bid it welcome and so it may have gone away i will go forth and seek it out in the country out in the wood and on the open sea beach out in the country lies an old manor house with red walls pointed gables and a red flag that floats on the tower the nightingale sings among the finely fringed beech leaves looking at the blooming apple trees of the garden and thinking that they bear roses here the bees are mightily busy in the summer time and hover around their queen with their humming song the autumn has much to tell of the wild chase of the leaves of the trees and of the races of men that are passing away together the wild swans sing at christmas time on the open water while in the old hall the guests by the fireside gladly listen to songs and to old legends down into the old part of the garden where the great avenue of wild chestnut trees lures the wanderer to tread its shades went the man who was in search of the story for here the wind had once murmured something to him of waldemar daw and his daughters the dryad in the tree who was the story mother herself had here told him the dream of the old oak tree here in the time of the ancestral mother had stood clipped hedges but now only ferns and stinging nettles grew there hiding the scattered fragments of old sculptured figures the moss is growing in their eyes but they can see as well as ever which was more than the man could do who was in search of the story for he could not find that where could it be the crows flew past him by hundreds across the old trees and screamed and he went out of the garden and over the grass plot of the yard into the alder grove there stood a little six-sided house with a poultry yard and a duck yard in the middle of the room sat the old woman who had the management of the whole and who knew accurately about every egg that was laid and about every chicken that could creep out of an egg but she was not the story of which the man was in search that she could attest with the christian certificate of baptism and a vaccination that lay in her drawer without not far from the house is a hill covered with red thorn and broom here lies an old gravestone which was brought here many years ago from the churchyard 
of the provincial town a remembrance of one of the most honoured counsellors of the place his wife and his five daughters all with folded hands and stiff ruffs stand around him one could look at them so long that it had an effect upon the thoughts and these reacted upon the stones as if they were telling of old times at least it had been so with the man who was in search of the story as he came nearer he noticed a living butterfly sitting on the forehead of the sculptured counsellor the butterfly flapped its wings and flew a little bit farther and then returned fatigued to sit upon the gravestone as if to point out what grew there four-leaved shamrocks grew there there were seven specimens close to each other when fortune comes it comes in a heap he plucked the shamrocks and put them in his pocket fortune is as good as red gold but a new charming story would be better still thought the man but he could not find it here and the sun went down round and large the meadow was covered with vapour the moor-woman was at her brewing it was evening he stood alone in his room and looked out upon the sea over the meadow over the moor and coast the moon shone bright a mist was over the meadow making it look like a great lake and indeed it was once so as legend tells and in the moonlight eye realizes these myths then the man thought of what he had been reading in the town that william tell and holger dansky never really lived but yet live in popular story like the lake yonder a living evidence for such myths yes holger dansky will return again as he stood thus and thought something beat quite strongly against the window was it a bird a bat or an owl those are not let in even when they knock the window flew open of itself and an old woman looked in at the man what's your pleasure said he who are you you're looking in at the first floor window are you standing on a ladder you have a four-leaved shamrock in your pocket she replied indeed you have seven and one of them is a six-leaved one who are you asked the man again the moor woman she replied the moor woman who brews i was at it the bung was in the cask but one of the little moor imps pulled it out in his mischief and flung it up into the yard where it beat against the window and now the beer's running out of the cask and that won't do good to anybody pray tell me some more said the man yes wait a little answered the moor woman i've something else to do just now and she was gone the man was going to shut the window when the woman already stood before him again now it's done she said but i shall have half the beer to brew over again to-morrow if the weather is suitable well what have you to ask me i've come back for i always keep my word and you have seven four-leaved shamrocks in your pocket and one of them is a six-leaved one that inspires respect for that's an order that grows beside the sandy way but that every one does not find what have you to ask me don't stand there like a ridiculous oaf for i must go back again directly to my bung and my cask and the man asked about the story and inquired if the moor woman had met it in her journeyings by the big brewing vat exclaimed the woman haven't you got stories enough i really believe that most people have enough of them here are other things to take notice of other things to examine even the children have gone beyond that give the little boy a cigar and the little girl a new crinoline they like that much better to listen to stories no indeed there are more important things to be done here and other things to notice what do you mean by that asked the man and what do you know of the world you don't see anything but frogs and the will-o'-the-wisps yes beware of the will-o'-the-wisps said the moor woman 
for they're out, they're let loose, that's what we must talk about. Come to me in the moor where my presence is necessary, and I will tell you all about it. But you must make haste and come while your seven four-leaved shamrocks, for which one has six leaves, are still fresh and the moon stands high. And the moor woman was gone. It struck twelve in the town, and before the last stroke had died away, the man was out in the yard, out in the garden, and stood in the meadow. The mist had vanished, and the moor woman stopped her brewing. You've been a long time coming, said the moor woman. Witches get forward faster than men, and I'm glad that I belong to the witch folk. What have you to say to me now? asked the man. Is it anything about the story? Can you never get beyond asking about that? reported the woman. Can you tell me anything about the poetry of the future? resumed the man. Don't get on your stilts, said the crone, and I'll answer you. You think of nothing but poetry and only ask about that story as if she were the lady of the whole troop. She's the oldest of us all, but she takes precedence of the youngest. I know her well. I've been young too, and she's no chicken now. I was once quite a pretty elf maiden and have danced in my time with the others in the moonlight and have heard the nightingale and have gone into the forest and met the story maiden who was always to be found out there running about. Sometimes she took up her night's lodging in a half-blown tulip or in a field flower. Sometimes she would slip into the church and wrap herself in the morning crepe that hung down from the candles on the altar. You are capitally well informed, said the man. I ought at least to know as much as you, answered the moor woman. Stories and poetry, yes, they're like two yards of the same piece of stuff. They can go and lie down where they like, and no one can brew all their prattle and have it all the better and cheaper. You shall have it for me for nothing. I have a whole cupboard full of poetry and bottles. It makes essences, and that's the best of it, bitter and sweet herbs. I have everything that people want of poetry, in bottles, so that I can put a little on my handkerchief on holidays to smell. Why, these are wonderful things that you're telling, said the man. You have poetry in bottles? More than you can require, said the woman. I suppose you know the history of the girl who trod on the loaf, so that she might not soil her shoes? That has been written, and printed, too. I told that story myself, said the man. Yes, then you must know it. And you must know also that the girl sank into the earth directly, to the moor woman, just as the old bogey's grandmother was paying her morning visit to inspect the brewery. She saw the girl gliding down and asked to have her as a remembrance of her visit, and got her, too. While I received a present that's of no use to me, a traveling druggist shop, a whole cupboard full of poetry in bottles. Grandmother told me where the cupboard was to be placed, and there it's standing still. Just look, you've your seven four-leaf shamrocks in your pocket, one of which is a six-leaved one, and so you will be able to see it. And really in the midst of the moor lay something like a great knotted block of alder, and that was the old grandmother's cupboard. The moor woman said that this was always open to her and to everyone in the land, if they only knew where the cupboard stood. It could be opened either at the front or at the back, and at every side and corner, a perfect work of art, and yet only an old alder stump in appearance. The poet of all lands, and especially those of our own country, had been arranged here. The spirits of them had been extracted, refined, criticized, and renovated, and then stored up in bottles. With what may be called great aptitude, if it was not genius, the grandmother had taken, as it were, the flavor of this and of that poet, and had added a little devilry, and then corked up the bottles for use during all future times. 
Pray, let me see, said the man. Yes, but there are more important things to hear, replied the moor woman. But now we are at the cupboard, said the man, and he looked in. Here are bottles of all sizes. What is this one? And what in that one yonder? Here is what they call Maybaum, replied the woman. I have not tried it myself, but I have not yet told you the more important thing you were to hear. The will of the wisps in the town. That's of much more consequence than poetry and stories. I ought indeed to hold my tongue, but there must be a necessity, a fate, a something that sticks in my throat and that wants to come out. Take care, you mortals. I don't understand a word of all this, cried the man. Be kind enough to seat yourself on that cupboard, she retorted but take care you don't fall through and break the bottles. You know what's inside of them. I must tell of the great event. It occurred no longer ago than the day before yesterday. It did not happen earlier. It has now three hundred and sixty-three days to run about. I suppose you know how many days there are in a year? And this is what the moor woman told. There was a great commotion yesterday out here in the marsh. There was a christening feast. A little will-o'-the-wisp was born here. In fact, twelve of them were born altogether, and they have permission, if they choose to use it, to go abroad among men, and to move about and command among them, just as if they were born mortals. That was a great event in the marsh. And accordingly all the will-o'-the-wisps, male and female, went dancing like little lights across the moor. There are some of them of the dog species, but those are not worth mentioning. I sat there on the cupboard, and had all the twelve little newborn will-o'-the-wisps upon my lap. They shone like glow-worms. They already began to hop, and to increase in size every moment, so that before a quarter of an hour had elapsed each of them looked just as large as his father or his uncle. Now it's an old established regulation in favor that when the moon stands just as it did yesterday, and the wind blows just as it blew then, it is allowed and accorded to all will-o'-the-wisps, that is, to all those who are born at that minute of time, to become mortals and individually to exert their power for the space of one year the will o the wisp may run about in the country and through the world if it's not afraid of falling into the sea or of being blown out by a heavy storm it can enter into a person and speak for him and make all the movements it pleases the will o the wisp may take whatever form he likes of man or woman and can act in their spirit and in their disguise in such a way that he can effect whatever he wishes to do but he must manage in the course of the year to lead three hundred and sixty-five people into a bad way and in a grand style too to lead them away from the right and the truth and then he reaches the highest point such a will-o'-the-wisp can attain to the honor of being a runner before the devil's state coach and then he'll wear clothes of fiery yellow and breathe forth flames out of his throat that's enough to make a simple will-o'-the-wisp smack his lips but there's some danger in this and a great deal of work for a will-o'-the-wisp who aspires to play so distinguished a part if the eyes of the man are open to what he is and if the man can then blow him away it's all over with him and he must come back into the marsh or if before the year's up the will-o'-the-wisp is seized with a longing to see his family and so returns to it and gives the matter up it is over with him likewise and he can no longer burn clear and sometimes becomes extinguished and cannot be lit up again and when the years elapsed and he has not led three hundred and sixty-five people away from the truth and from all that is grand and noble he is condemned to be imprisoned in decayed wood and to lie glimmering there without being able to move and that's the most terrible punishment that can be inflicted on a lively will-o'-the-wisp 
now all this i know and all this i told to the twelve little will-o'-the-wisps whom i had on my lap and who seemed quite crazy with joy i told them that the safest and most convenient course was to give up the honour and do nothing at all but the little flames would not agree to this and already fancied themselves clad in fiery yellow clothes breathing flames from their throats stay with us said some of the older ones carry on your sport with mortals said the others the mortals are drying up our meadows they've taken to draining what will our successors do we want to flame we will flame flame cried the newborn will-o'-the-wisps and thus the affair was settled and now a ball was given a minute long it could not well be shorter the little elf maidens whirled around three times with the rest that they might not appear proud but they preferred dancing with one another and now the sponsor's gifts were presented and presents were thrown them these presents flew like pebbles across the sea-water each of the elf maidens gave a little piece of her veil take that they said and then you'll know the higher dance the most difficult turns and twists that is to say if you should find them necessary you'll know the proper deportment and then you can show yourself in the very pick of society the night raven taught each of the young will-o'-the-wisps to go goo goo good and to say it in the right place and that's a great gift which brings its own reward the owl and the stork but they said it was not worth mentioning so we won't mention it king waldemar's wild chase was just then rushing over the moor and when the great lords heard the festivities that were going on they sent a couple of handsome dogs which hunt on the spoor of the wind as a present and these might carry two or three of the will-o'-the-wisps a couple of old alpa's spirits who occupy themselves with outpressing were also at the feast and from these the young will-o'-the-wisps learned the art of slipping through every keyhole as if the door stood open before them these alpas offered to carry the youngsters to the town with which they were well acquainted they usually rode through the atmosphere on their own back hair which is fastened into a knot for they love a hard seat but now they sat sideways on the wild hunting dogs took the young will-o'-the-wisps in their laps who wanted to go into town to mislead and entice mortals and whisk away they were now this is what happened last night to-day the will-o'-the-wisps are in the town and have taken the matter in hand but where and how ah can you tell me that still i've a lightning conductor in my great toe that will always tell me something why this is a complete story exclaimed the man yes but it is only the beginning replied the woman can you tell me how the will-o'-the-wisps support themselves and how they behave and in what shapes they have aforetime appeared and led people into crooked paths i believe replied the man that one could tell quite a romance about the will-o'-the-wisps in twelve parts or better still one might make quite a popular play of them you might write that said the woman but it's best let alone yes that's better and more agreeable the man replied for then we shall escape from the newspapers and not be tied up by them which is just as uncomfortable as for a will-o'-the-wisp to lie in decaying wood to have to gleam and not to be able to stir i don't care about it either way cried the woman let the rest write those who can and those who cannot likewise i'll grant you an old bung from my cast that will open the cupboard where poetry's kept in bottles and you may take from that whatever may be wanting but you my good man seem to have blotted your hands sufficiently with ink and to have come to that age of satiety that you need not be running about every year for stories especially as there are much more important things to be done you must have understood what is going on 
the will o the wisps is in town said the man i've heard it and i've understood it but what do you think i ought to do i should be thrashed if i were to go to people and say look yonder there goes a will o the wisp in his best clothes they also go in undress replied the woman the will o the wisp can assume all kinds of forms and appear in every place he goes into the church but not for the sake of the service and perhaps he may enter into one or other of the priests he speaks in the parliament not for the benefit of the country but only for himself he's an artist with the colour-pot as well as in the theatre but when he gets all the power into his own hands then the pot's empty i chatter and chatter but it must come out what's sticking in my throat to the disadvantage of my own family but i must now be the good woman that will save a good many people it is not done with my good will or for the sake of a medal i do the most insane things i possibly can and then i tell a poet about it and thus the whole town gets to know of it directly the town will not take that to heart observed the man that will not disturb a single person for they will all think i'm only telling them a story if i say the will o the wisp is in the town says the moor woman take care of yourselves End of the will o the wisp is in the town says the moor woman